Welcome to the dark forest Jackie and her pals will never bore us Shameless confessions about our obsessions Will make us laugh and smile So let's explore the dark forest And dark down for a while Hi, I'm Jackie Cation. You are about to listen to the dark forest Let's give you the info about it First of all, you know the websites dorkforest.com, thedorkforest.com, if you like a determiner, jackiecation.com, has everything. All my podcasts, including uh, videos of my stand-up, my stand-up schedule, merchandise you can purchase if you would like, and a lot more info than you possibly even need. Let's do the credits. Mike Rickberg sang and produced and composed that song at the beginning of the show. He sang with his wife, Sarah. It's very beautiful. At the end of the program, he sings his version of the Mexican hat dance. That's Mike Rickberg. Vilmos fixes JackieCation.com. He is uh, the web designer over there. And Patrick Brady fixes the audio. And in this case, there's a video intro. Very exciting. Anyway, those are the websites. If you want to support the show, you're doing it already by listening to it or watching it. And Another way is to tell your friends and family, go on iTunes, do a review. Another way is to just give me money. Yeah. You could go use the donate button. You can make it even monthly if you're okay with making things monthly. You do a PayPal monthly. There's a monthly choice on PayPal. The PayPal is a button on the Jackie Cation or the Dork Forest website, and it goes directly to me. Thank you very much. I will use it wisely or foolishly. Your call as well. Now. My email address, Jackie at JackieCation.com, is where you can contact me if you have any questions or concerns and about the Dork Forest. And I do have a Venmo account. It's Jackie-Cation, oddly enough. Another way to support the show is on DorkForest.com and JackieCation.com. There's an Amazon link. And the Amazon link just takes you to Amazon. You order like normal, and it supports the show because you came from JackieCation or DorkForest.com. Very exciting. Other than that, oh, there are, there is a band camp. You can, if you have listened to all the episodes that are free and you need more content, there are several live episodes that are at thedorkforest.bandcamp.com. And those cost me a couple of bucks, so I charge a couple of bucks. There's also a storytelling album there that you can listen to some stories that I did live. And there are 17 free episodes before the Dork Forest was pre-recorded. So the audio isn't very good, but the guests were super funny and fun and dorky. So if you want to do that, go to thedorkforest.bandcamp.com. Other than that, let's see if there are other things that I should be talking about. Possibly uh, the merch. Yeah, if you want to buy merch. The only other thing I want to talk about is the merch. You can get Dork Forest t-shirts. Uh, and you can get stand-up comedy t-shirts. You can get my albums or my DVD over at JackieCation.com slash merch. There's pins. There's a challenge coin. There's a bunch of new things happening over there. Anyway, a lot of information. I think, I don't think I've missed anything, but who cares? Let's get into the show. Hey, it's Jackie Cation. I uh, guess who's back, you guys? Robert Hurt, Astro Rob. How's it going, man? Hey, it is going great in my self-isolation, floating out in space. Floating out in space with the perfect background because uh, Robert Hurt, I think, has, has been established, uh, is uh, is a guy who loves spaceships. You've talked spaceships. You've talked I Star Trek. I love spaceships. I love space. I love spaceships. I love Star Trek. Right. And... You- Yes. And I really love Babylon 5. I know. There was uh, that you, you, after the Expanse episode, you were like, I could have done that. But uh, <laughs> you could still do that. We could do another one about the Expanse after we do Babylon 5, because I don't know anything about Babylon 5. Here's what I know oh, about. Oh, my goodness. I know. Here's what I know about Babylon 5. Tamara Boyd, a mutual friend of ours, someone who worked at my old day job, uh, she liked it better than uh, Star Trek. There are many, many who do. Uh, right. That one five was it was a really uh, uh, important and unique addition, I think, into the tapestry of television sci-fi. Yeah, you guys, Robert Hertz here. He talks about the tapestry of television sci-fi. I don't understand why we're all not following you at Astro Rob. Uh, is <laughs> because it Astro I Rob? Never, because I never tweet. I have I have <laughs> terrible social media presence. So. What about what about uh, are you on Instagram? 
Uh, I am on Instagram as Astor Rob, and I put about 10 images out there about three years ago. And one of these days, I'm going to put some more pictures up there. We're going to get right back to it. We did Universe Unplugged together. And, we did Universe and, Unplugged together. And you do, and you go, and you do ongoing um, videos and educational stuff out of Caltech and JPL and NASA and all those things, right? Yes, we do. We keep, we're going to be uh, producing, uh, you know, on more and more new uh, videos teaching about astronomy and all of its many fields. And uh, uh, that'll all be up on Universe Unplugged over time. And yes, so. I learned so many things uh, from from <laughs> us working together briefly. And now let's I know I know you want to I want to know when was Babylon 5 on? Was it on? During Next Trek, Star Trek: The Next Generation, it, it, it very much was. In fact, Babylon Five was on TV uh, very concurrently with uh, Deep Space Nine, which is uh, kind of arguably almost the same story in its own way. Oh, really? Uh, was yeah. Was there a there. space station? Was it uh, a space station story? So you know, I, I got to come in and do my uh, my DS nine uh, chat with you, and so yeah. it's only appropriate, I guess. I I fill in the other side because I actually uh, referenced and alluded to Babylon five during that right. one. Yeah, you did. It, so people a, go back, listen to it, then then pipe right back in. Okay, go. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, um, uh, Babylon five and Deep Space Nine actually premiered the same month in 1993. Uh, really? Their pilots both aired in January of that year, and okay. um, uh, Babylon five actually took another year to go to series. Uh, DS nine rolled straight into the show, but um, there were both uh, uh, sci-fi shows set on space stations that were kind of off. In a in sort of nowhere quadrant of space, but over time suddenly became the focal point of the entire conflict that would engage the uh, you know the entire Each known galaxy. Sure, um, uh, they both had uh, commanders who had uh, fought in a war that nearly destroyed the Earth in their time uh, and had issues uh, left over from it. Uh, they both involved. Um, uh, a, uh, a recent war that had gone on between two of the major species in the show. Uh, one had been conquered and oppressed for hundreds of years by the other and had just liberated themselves and were trying to free themselves. Um, yeah, the, the crazy Wait. number of parallels. Oh, interesting, because that, that was the Kardashians and the Bajorans, but the what? The Kardashians. Kardashians. Kardashians why are the would other I? Ones. Why would I? Why? I... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> anyway, so um, I yeah, the Cardassians. I don't understand what's, yeah. what's and and the thing is, is is as big of a Star Trek fan as I am, I am not a Star Trek fan that could go head to head with a uh, what I would call someone who's who's into the who's more of a dork about it than I am. Like my dorkdom is very much just a very basic. No, I like that show. Other people own uh, action figures, so yeah, yeah. Uh, and 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 I've and I haven't done that. That doesn't mean I don't love the show it does mean that my information is mostly just enthusiasm not always information so perfect that's, for the that's dark plenty that, that's plenty it's uh, so at some point it, it becomes a sickness rather than a, <laughs> than a fandom and it, and it defines the dork forest who are the two uh species in babylon 5 in babylon 5 it was the centauri that had conquered the narn uh long ago and the narn had just gotten free the centauri in babylon 5 were known because they had very elaborate hair the uh the, the males would have big fans of hair that would go out about their head they looked absolutely ridiculous but were <laughs> it was the whole point was this uh, visualization of of pomp and circumstance okay um, the, the women were actually all bald they all shaved their head they they would have nothing of that that silly foppishness that the the men did oh, in society. Oh, uh, I uh, uh, I would like to discuss uh, the role of sexism in the Centauri. Uh, matter of fact, before we even get into the show itself, I just want to know, were the women, uh, because I, I'm trying to find a decent biography of Mar Marjorie Post, and it's uh, it, and I'm being thwarted. But, uh, the, but what I would like is to know about the Centauri and sexism. Who was, uh, were the men, was it still a patriarchy? 
Yes, the Centauri were very much a patriarchy. Uh, Women were wives and queens, and uh, there was some polygamy going on, but always uh, uh, men with multiple wives, not, as far as I remember, wives with multiple husbands. Wow, we get ripped off sometimes. Get ripped off until Octavia Butler. Uh, Uh, So anyway, uh, uh, and what about the Narn? Uh, The Narn were... They were, uh, the Narn were more marsupials. They look kind of reptilian, but it turns out they were marsupials. Uh, the uh, main character, oh. Jakar, would sometimes refer to as pouches. You know, I guess the male could carry carry the young, I guess, in their pouches. We, we never found out a lot about uh, uh, Narn uh, sexuality, actually. But, uh, oh, uh, but there were uh, strong female characters amongst the Narn, more so than with the Centauri. Um, you had a couple other primary races in the show. Of course, the humans were the recently made it to space and involved in um, a great war uh, 10 years before the series started that nearly wiped out the human race uh, with a race called the Minbari. And uh, part of the uh, idea of the show was that the humans then wanted to build a, a station that could be a meeting point of all the races to head off the chances of any other war like this happening in the future. So they built the Babylon station as a place where people could meet, work out their differences without having to resort to warfare. Um, oh, interesting. And is the human uh, our commander who was in the war? Yes, the human commander was in the war against the Minbari. Uh, the Minbari are humanoid, but uh, they distinctively uh, have no hair, but they have this big bone ridge that would run around the back of their head. And uh, oh, both interesting. The, the, the males and the females had this big bone ridge. Uh, oh. uh, little gender differences in the way the bone expresses, but again, that was okay. Sure, sure. And a classic science fiction. We're going to do something to your head. Um, what, uh, what, was, what was the commander's name? Uh, the commander's name was Jeffrey Sinclair uh, in the ah. first season, and uh, though uh, they actually had a rearrangement. So, th- so I-, I should back up and say one thing about the show. The show was a labor of love of its creator, uh, uh, J. Michael Straczynski. Uh, who I had actually been a fan of long before Babylon 5 came out. He had actually uh, been the showrunner for the first season of the animated series, The Real Ghostbusters, which was really the best one uh, before it started getting <laughs> you know, fixed by the network. Uh, it sure. told some amazing stories. Uh, they made Janine a full-fledged Ghostbuster instead of being the secretary. Before okay. the network came in and made her a secretary again. Uh, wow. There was a lot of uh, for you know, some, some really good writing, but uh, he left the show because they, they screwed around with too much of the, the work that he was doing to really make these characters real. And so this was in the early 90s. J. Michael mm-hmm. Straczynski did an animated series of the real Ghostbusters. The early 90s were a blurry time for me, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't, uh, you would have thought I would have been, if I would have been more into uh, the marijuana uh, instead of the alcohol, I might have watched more cartoons. But uh, oh. I, this makes me want to go back and see, did he just, was he just in charge of the first season? Yeah, just in charge of the first season. And, and, and that was some good writing? And it was some good writing. They did an actual Cthulhu story in the first season. Uh, you know, there was actual real character progression. We got to see Janine become a full-fledged Ghostbuster on her own. Uh, the characters really got fleshed out. And then the network came in and decided to fix it because just, it was only the most popular cartoon on that season. So they, oh. they, they made Janine become a secretary again. Uh, they took the, the black character, Winston, and said, oh, no, his role can only be driving the white people around. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was too complicated, you see. The, 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 for kids couldn't understand people with complex roles. So Janine had to be the mother figure because that's the only thing a child would understand. Oh, and apparently and the-, the black guy can only be a chauffeur, which is the only thing a child would understand. So Straczynski actually quit the show out of protest of the changes they made. And I, I respected him deeply for that. Right, um, right. Because he, of white he, supremacism and patriarchy. He was like, yeah. oh, well, then I guess I'll try to do something else besides you fucking up the thing that wasn't broken. It's, uh, it's right, yeah. Oh my God, he went I'm on to be one rage. of the principal writers on a, uh, another show for, for kids called Captain Power and the Soldiers of the Future. It was a live-action half-hour series uh, that uh, he was one of the principal writers. It was one of those shows that was for kids that was written at a much higher level than other kid shows yeah. were with continuity and a whole arc for the characters. Uh have a toy tie-in that kind of wrecked the franchise and uh, made him skittish about marketing. And um, 
but all along, Babylon 5 was a project that he would talk about at conventions without saying anything about it. It was his, his pet sci-fi dream to do a, a multi-year story arc that told like a novel in five seasons, a sci-fi novel. And, and he knew had it was a beginning, five seasons? And he knew, yeah, it was a five-season arc. He knew what the whole story would be before he even started it. And he pitched around. And the thing is, he did pitch it to Paramount. And Paramount passed on it because they already had a star franchise. Right. But weirdly, did something really similar to it uh, <laughs> when they spun off Deep Space Nine. Again. Uh, it, it's, it's unclear, you know, if the, the creators of DS9 had any any contact with the executives who spoke to Zinsky or not. So who knows? But, well, you know um, how exactly... Not to badmouth executives, but let me badmouth. Let me be the one uh, to say that executives are in on all of those meetings, and they're constantly wanting to have a creative input, as we see. So I could see yeah. them going, "Well, what about this idea?" And the writers who have never heard of Straczynski or don't know him, uh, or don't know his project, are like, "Oh my God, yeah, let's do that." And uh, so uh, let's blame it on the suits and the haircuts, because uh, that I'm a big fan of that. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's really good. I, I mean, I have great respect for the DS9 creative team. And I think I don't really think anyone there was intentionally ripping anyone else off. It was just and sometimes, you know, similar ideas all hit at the same time. And of course, you know, everybody has to make a story right now about artificially intelligent people who are almost like humans, but not. And, and you know, and that's just spilling out. And even Russian one that just showed up on Netflix. It's the same thing as right, they're all, the, all the others. So uh, sometimes the ever- ideas just kind of hit at the same time. It's true. Parallel oh. thought is real. Did you ever get to meet Straczynski at any of the conventions? Oh, yes, many times. I uh, uh, met him. Um, you know, he was a very uh, approachable person. I spoke to him, you know, personally at conventions. I'd ask him questions, uh, signings. Uh, I actually, uh, I actually had a friend who worked on the show Babylon Five. He was uh, a part of the art department, so I actually got to visit the set a couple times back in the day. Uh, Dude. So, yeah. That's, th- that's- that's cool. I saw. I actually saw Strzok enough at the conventions that he would actually kind of recognize me as, "Oh yeah, that guy." <laughs> oh right, right. Well, sure, because he meets so many people. But he's like, "That guy looks vaguely familiar." And I bet you had uh, a lot of science questions. How was the uh, science on Babylon Five? It was actually when they touched on it. It was actually really spot on. Um, though a lot of the stories weren't really about technical or scientific or, or, you know, techno magic stuff. It was actually much more character driven about the choices people make when given a chance to do good or bad, and then having to live with those consequences, which I think is what made it a powerful franchise. But for instance, the, the Babylon five station, uh, you know, the earth Alliance was new to space. We didn't have any magic gravity technology like star Trek or everything else did. So the way that you had uh, gravity in the station is that it was a big cylinder that was hollow and it rotated. And centrifugal force provided, you know, your sense of gravity. And in fact, any Earth ship that had, uh, 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 you know, sort of a synthetic gravity did so by rotation, something that we could build a ship to do today. Whereas the other races were more advanced and had their kind of cruise ship liners where gravity goes one way, the ship flies the other way, things that didn't work. But Babylon 5, like any ship that didn't have a rotating section that came from Earth, didn't have gravity in it. And sometimes they would show, you know, people in, in zero G environments in the ships and, and sort of make a point of that, which is actually really cool. That is really cool. Uh, two questions. One about, um, well, I'm not even going to get you started on gravity. Varjan said that he would come on and talk to me about uh, gravity. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the centrifugal force thing, that, uh, is that possible? To Absolutely. Control? Yeah, it was. It was actually the Babylon Five station art design was really heavily based on uh, concepts that date back to the '70s when there was a big push to actually build space colonies uh, out in uh, uh, you know sort of near Earth orbit. There was a there was a L five by ninety five rallying cry in the mid '70s to have a space station at the L five Lagrange point between sort of the equidistant from the Earth and Moon as as like establishing our future in space. Okay. And um, Gerard K O'Neill was one of the uh, the proponents of this back in the '70s. There was a book called The High Frontier that was sort of the the Bible of how we could colonize space before the end of the century, eh, which that, that well, went well. But, uh, <laughs> but um, uh, one of the designs in the book was the idea of this big cylinder that would rotate and that you could build whole landscapes and terrains inside the cylinder uh, and it would be pressurized. And then um, uh, you'd rotate to get gravity. You would uh, use mirrors to 
bounce light in. So uh, there was a lot of inspiration on the Babylon 5 stage. It looked very familiar when I saw it. Like, oh yeah, they're, they're, they're playing on that idea. Well, and that then that- when you would get these internal views inside the station, you'd get these really cool shots where you'd see your landscape curl up and, you know, around, right? You're living on the, the inside of a, of a cylinder. And, okay. and, uh, and, and down the middle, there was a, a shuttle that would take you across. And that was a low G environment because it was off the rotation. It was uh, a little bit, oh. you know, that you had to hold <laughs> on to handholds and things. You know, they, they actually paid attention and they actually tried to put a much, as much of that plausibly as they could. Uh, that, and a couple times it was even like a big plot point. Like what happens when someone gets, it has to jump out of a shuttle in the core and they're going to smash into the ground that's rotating. It's like, well, uh, they even made a point like, well, you know, he's basically in zero G out there, but the ground is rotating really fast. And when he hits it, it's going to kill him. So, uh, so, but you know how the, you, and you do, uh, how the earth rotates and creates, uh, gravity, though we don't necessarily know why or, uh, but, well, but I mean, earth. The gravity of Earth has uh, the rotation of the Earth doesn't affect its gravity measurably, right? Earth has gravity because matter has gravity, mass. Okay. You know, things that have mass create gravity. And okay. You create a little bit of gravity. The Earth creates a lot of gravity, and it's the interaction of those two that you feel your weight on the Earth. Okay. Now, if the Earth spun really, 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 really fast, uh, then then it might it might swell out it would be you know, wider at the equator than it would be at the poles because the centrifugal force would sort of cancel out on that axis. But that being said, uh, from your point on, on the earth, you know, you wouldn't really notice that effect because you would simply, um, I mean, you might have, you might feel like a little lighter, like you could, if you have a micro scale, if the earth rotated fast enough, you could me- measure a little bit of how the centrifugal force countered a little bit of the gravity at the equator versus the pole. Right, so the ship, though, the creating that gravity with the with the core in Babylon Five, it had to move very fast, and so how did it affect? I mean, and this is this is not talking about the thing you want to talk about, which is the people, and we will get to it. <laughs> but I, but I just the um, so if if the core is rotating to create this gravity or this sense of uh, centrifugal force, is it you know like when when you're on a ride? that moves when you're standing up against the wall? Is it yeah, like the, that? The, the, the graviton, the centrifuge yeah. rides that they, they, they drop the floor off and you stick to the wall. Uh, yeah, so those, it really has to do with um, how fast you're moving and how fast the sur- how much the surface curves. So when you build one of these really small for an amusement park, your cylinder is quite, quite small. Mm-hmm. And so to get enough centrifugal force to feel like like 1g of gravity the rotation speed has to be really really rapid it has to go around you know every second or so to like really like like push you against the wall but as you build larger and larger cylinders the rate that it has to rotate uh, you know, in terms of the number of cycles per per minute actually goes down the bigger it is you know the larger the ring is it doesn't have to rotate nearly as quickly for you on the outside to feel oh. that same that sense of, of acceleration. Okay. So for Babylon 5, it's actually a relatively subtle slow motion. And uh, man, I haven't done the math on that for a while, but, but someone, they actually got it more <laughs> or less in the right ballpark of the, the, the rate that something that big, I mean, the Babylon 5 station was supposed to be five miles long. And oh, really? A really big thing. And then the, the actual inhabited central cylinder would have been about like two and a half miles. I was actually just looking at a map recently. I was uh, putting it down like, yeah, the, the occupied part of Babylon 5 would probably be roughly the from my my condo here in Mar Vista out to like the Abbott Kinney along Venice Boulevard. You know, you, okay. you, you yeah, lay the garden miles. down, right? And it'd be like a two and a half mile walk from one end of the cylinder to the other. And I was like, oh yeah, so that'd just be like wrapping up my neighborhood in like a little cylinder. And that would be the inside of the station. <laughs> that is fascinating. Okay, now. Uh, so there's five, I'm willing to go back. I'm so sorry with the detour, but let's, so there's five seasons. Did you just rewatch? Are you in the midst of a rewatch? You said? Yeah. So since we first started talking about this, I kept saying, yeah, I've been meaning to sit down with Patrice and watch Babylon five because he'd only seen little bits and pieces. And the first time that we ever met and he, he came over to my place, he actually saw the models I have from Babylon five and he actually correctly identified what show they were from. Which was oh. like okay, uh, he, he passed, uh, he passed the first check, but yeah, exactly. He's a keeper. <laughs> and so after that's all these hilarious. years, now I'm and set him down to like walk through. And so we've actually now gone through. Uh, uh, we've just started the fifth and final season, actually, uh, uh, okay. last week. 
So oh, I'm like really week. up on it again. I've gone back through everything, you know, and uh, uh, so it's really fun to actually have had that chance. So I'm actually a lot more up on the franchise than I was when we first talked about doing the podcast. Right. And so what what are you what are you loving about this rewatch? What are you uh, seeing that the and 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 is it is it can you tell that Straczynski knew where he was going? Oh, absolutely. There are things that occur in the first season that because people who followed Straczynski at the conventions like I did, right, we knew he had a big plan. So anytime some weird little unresolved plot point dropped out, there was always tremendous speculation. In fact, Babylon 5, because it had kind of a built-in fan base before the first episode dropped, because we were also hyped on what he teased about what the show would be about, mm-hmm. uh, there was a website called uh, The Lurker's Guide to Babylon 5 that became <laughs> the absolute thing that like you would watch the show, then you would go and read up on The Lurker's guide and they would like go through and they would list every bullet point everything that wasn't resolved or teased they would go through and uh, list out everything that then paid off some previous thing that got set up in a prior episode uh you know plot summaries would be there yeah and also um uh uh, straczynski or jms as we like to call him uh, excellent uh, he, he went by his initials online uh he was one of the first creators to ever actively engage with the fan base for a show from the beginning uh Back in the day of Usenet, when there yep. were Usenet forums, um, alt.tv.sci-fi.babylon5 <laughs> was like a place <laughs> that you went to. That was the alt board go, that you guys were on? I oh, loved totally. an alt board. Yeah, so, alt boards, I, right? Yeah. And what's more, Straczynski, JMS read the alt boards, and he would respond to people's questions. Dude. It was incredible, yeah. right? Because you would go out there, and you would people would start chatting about the episode online each week. And Straczynski would pop up and he would say, oh, yeah, right. And he would like answer people's questions directly. He would get that. So it was like nobody had ever engaged with fans on like, you know, a daily, weekly basis. And he was doing this all at the same time. He was basically writing almost every episode of the series. Wow. Um, First season, he wrote probably about two thirds of it. Uh, second season, I think maybe there were five episodes ish he didn't write. And then after that, it was basically all Straczynski until the fifth season where one episode he handed over to Neil Gaiman to write. Oh my gosh. What, uh, how many, how many episodes per season? 22 or? Uh, 22 episodes a season. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So and, this uh, is a fact, commitment. Was, yeah. And it was actually a very nice nod to, to let Neil Gaiman do one because Straczynski was also a big comic book fan and really appreciated his work. And in fact, there is a species in uh, Babylon 5 that are known as the Gaim and it, they look they basically are an insectoid creature that has to wear a mask the whole time. And that mask looks very much like the Sandman mask from the oh. Neil Gaiman's run of Sandman. Oh, that's... And so there was, they were basically named as a nod to Neil Gaiman. And then after all that time, he actually got Neil Gaiman to come back and, and write a, a completely I... lovely episode on, on the show. How cool is it when, when people are fans of other people you're fans? I mean, that's just it's just the best part when people are friends or fans with... Uh, you're like, yes, because uh, uh, there was a comic, a uh, guy named Stuart Lee, one of my favorite comics of all time, uh, British comic, S-T-E-W, Stuart Lee. And uh, he, was, he loved, he loves the Hulk. And he was in an, in an issue of the Hulk. There was a poster for one of his comedy shows in the background. And <laughs> it blew his mind. He was like, uh, I would like uh, either original art or I'll be framing this particular comic book. <laughs> <laughs> it was just, you know, it's just a treat, you know, it's kind of, it's so neat that there was that. So the, so Babylon, we come into Babylon five and it's already built. He's a new commander or wh- how do we come into it? Yeah, we, we come in the, in the pilot. He basically shows up as a new commander. Uh, he is implicated in the uh, uh, near death, uh, uh, the near assassination of one of the alien ambassadors the, uh, from the species known as the Vorlons, the most mysterious race that no one had ever seen outside of their encounter suits, uh, who, had, who had out of the blue decided to join the, uh, 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 the dignitaries at Babylon 5. And after being nearly uh, arrested for an attempted murder that turned out to be an actual plot to frame him, ah, yes. uh, that sort of set up the whole idea that there was going to be a lot of political intrigue and, and you know, the, the different agendas, the different governments coming in. Uh, so, yeah, so going down the list, the principal governments involved in this story, right, that the Earth Alliance set up the station, the Minbari nearly murdered 
basically the entire uh, uh, human population. And in the eve of their great war against the earth, where they were basically on the footsteps of earth, they surrendered. And 24 hours later, the war was over and they were rebuilding. And they were actually a principal backer of the station. The mystery of why they surrendered was, of course, one of the fundamental mythology underpinnings of what of the whole scene, of Babylon the whole Tide. arc for the is whole it, arc. Yes, for the whole arc. Because so let's not do that because I'm not. No, I'm not. I'll, I'll, I'm going to do a spoiler avoider on this one. You know, I, I want I want people to be intrigued and, and go see this uh, uh, on I'm their own. I'm already intrigued, and I loathe political intrigue. Uh, the, but um, <laughs> I got, do love so you got space. the Earth and Bari. They were mm-hmm. involved. There were the Narn and the Centauri. So the Centauri had conquered the Narn homeworld maybe a couple hundred years ago, and the Narn had just become freed in the last decade or few decades. Right. And so there was bad blood between them, and the Narn were spoiling for revenge against the Centauri, and the Centauri were a sort of a fading empire. They used to rule it all, but their, their golden glory days were gone. And, sure. And we see each of these races through the, um, through the lens of their ambassador on Babylon 5. So oh. Ambassador Lynn is the representative of the Mbari, very spiritual. She's part of their, their world's religious caste. They have a religious caste, a warrior caste, and a, and a, a, a worker caste. And uh, they're one of the oldest races aside from the Vorlons. You have the Vorlons, which are probably much, much older race, but shrouded in mystery. We don't know much about them. We've never seen them. They sure. won't appear outside of their encounter suits. <laughs> and they speak in, in Ambassador Kosh, speaks only in, in vague ambiguities and things that are like precisely true, but so frustratingly vague that you can't actually understand what it necessarily what he's getting at. Wow. You have Ambassador Jakar, who is the representative of the Narn, and he is, he is just mad. He's frustrated that his people have been beaten down for so long, and he wants revenge. He wants to fight for this. You have Ambassador Malare, who is the representative of the Centauri, and he is the... <sighs> the aging diplomat who's given this joke position on this station that is totally irrelevant because he's irrelevant to everything going on and he wants to be important again. Ah. And so these are, these are the core people, the core windows yeah. onto those races. And then, then there's some other, a lot of other races out there, the Drazi, they're kind of like have turtle heads and the Gaim I've talked about a little bit. The, yeah. Um, there's actually one race that at one point there's a calamity that entire species goes extinct in the course of the series that they sort of set up a little bit and then something happens and they, they, they go away. Right. Um, So that's the sort of the underpinnings of it. A lot of tension, a lot of issues, a lot of mysteries about why things went on. In fact, Babylon five is the fifth of the Babylon stations. The first uh, uh, the first three Babylon stations were all actually sabotaged and blown up before they actually came online by various forces working against this idea. Yeah. The fourth Babylon station just vanished 24 hours after it went online. And like, no one knows what happened to it. What? Spoiler. It, they do mention it again later in the show. Well, yeah, that's the thing. It's, it's like all of these things will come back. I mean, that that's what I like about a well-written mystery kind of situation. There, There's sometimes a lot of tension there where you're like, I know this matters. And uh, and so it makes it tends to make me do laps around yeah. my own home as I'm like, somebody tell me. Just tell me. It's not, this isn't real. Somebody just tell me the secret. And they're like, Tune in next week. And uh, you're like, okay. Then, um, then the other kind of main players in the show, you've got uh, 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 Commander Ivanova, uh, Susan Ivanova. She's the first officer of Babylon okay. 5. She's the second in command. Right. Uh, again, want parallels just the way that Major Kira was the, she was the second in command on Deep Space Nine. Right. Uh, uh, Security Chief Michael Garibaldi, played by um, an actor who for uh, uh, it looked like uh, Bruce Willis's body double, um, uh, oh. uh, Jerry Doyle, uh, okay. who sadly actually died some years ago. Uh, I have to say, Babylon 5 has not fared well uh, for sci-fi franchises. They have had so many of their principal cast members die relatively young. Oh, weird. Um, Andreas Katsoulis, who played Ambassador Jakar, who just... A brilliant, brilliant actor who, because he had like a very mean visage, was always just cast as the heavy. He was the one-armed man in, in um, uh, uh, oh, oh, in oh, Harrison Ford. 
Yeah, yeah, that. Remake? Yeah. The, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. I blanked uh, on that. Everyone's yeah, on, They're fine. On Star, Trek, uh, on Star Trek, he was cast as a Romulan uh, uh, commander who was totally evil and nefarious. But because by putting him in the makeup of Jakar, yeah. they let him be something different than he was. And he, he goes through an incredible character arc of, you know, having, you know, an angry side, but a noble side and a spiritual side and delivers some of the most like tear your heart out monologues of the entire series. That's so cool. That's great. Uh, the um, uh, Bill Mummy, uh, who played uh, young Will Robinson in the original um, Lost in Space, actually was the assistant to Ambassador to Lynn. And okay. just a l- lovely character named Lanier. Uh, uh, you had telepaths. There was um, uh, Patricia Tallman plays a telepath called, named Lita Alexander in the show. Ladies, uh, ladies, they're empaths, man. They're just they're they're just empathetic. They are, uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like she's, but uh, unlike uh, um, uh, Troy from uh, Next Generation, she's a full telepath. Uh, oh, okay, but that's another really interesting storyline in Babylon Five. It was. Um, Straczynski really wanted to dig into like, okay, let's say you actually have telepaths. What would society have to do to make that actually work? Because rather than ignore that everything they ought to do every time you have a telepath on board, like get into it. How's that going? He actually postulated that if we suddenly did have telepaths appear on earth, you'd probably end up with an organization like they had in Babylon five called Psychor, where basically if you manifest telepathic abilities, you got to register. Guess what? You get to join Psychor yeah. because you can't let people just walk around who can go and muck around into people's heads without uh, uh, permission. And so there's a very rigorous, you know, legal system and, and what is and is not legally possible. And, and Psychor has to lock down. And, and if you don't have an organization like Psychor controlling its telepaths, and their impact on society, right? Things could just fragment really badly. Right, and their happens. powers could be used for evil. If, exactly. If if you're if you have a bad government, you know, like uh, like if there's a way to control, like the, like it's a bureaucracy, right? And so you could yep. point it in a good direction, or you could point it in a bad direction, depending on what uh, who's 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 using the laser pointer, right? Exactly. And, uh, and actually, one of the best recurring characters in the show was played by Walter Koenig, who is uh, Chekhov from oh, nice. the original Star Trek. Uh, he plays a, uh, a psychop, uh, a level P-12, which is basically the highest psionic rating you can get. Um, wow. Uh, you know, the, the only ones who can police the telepaths are the most powerful of the telepaths. So if you are at a level of a P-12, you are a psychop, essentially. And he is a recurring um, uh, adversarial character because he has his own agenda uh, about what he feels. You know, if you represent the next evolution of mankind uh, or humankind, humanity, you know, should you be serving humanity or or directing? Directing. And so Psychor itself has its own agenda separate of what's going on. Now, two two, uh, side questions. One, have you ever read uh, Ethos? of um uh, what's his name ethan of of athos it might be called of orcosigan lois no McMaster, i have not it's a no it's a it's a very tiny novel written in the 80s uh, by lois mcmaster bujold and uh ethan of athos is in the vorkosigan universe and it is about um it's about many things and uh and and i don't want to spoil that but it's it's a lovely quarantine read for you because ah, of the science good. and because uh it is also very short blessedly short ethan of athos i will send you a link in the, send me the link uh and then the other one have you read the broken earth trilogy by nk jemison no i have not oh won the hugo three years in a row this year Ooh. as well and it okay. is about uh the nature of power and humanity, and uh, uh, and also um, a little bit about uh, the environment. Anyway, but it's uh, inc- it's an incredible. You would like it, the Broken Earth. I will send you that link as well. Those are both uh, very uh, interesting. Th- those will be good books for you. The first one, an easy read. The second one, uh, I read the first book in the trilogy. And by the way, she finished all three tr- three books in the trilogy, and then published the first. Oh, wow. Well, there's a good way to make sure you're consistent with Uh, everything that goes through. And uh, hello, Patrick Rothfuss. Uh, Please finish your goddamn trilogy. Anyway, uh, (laughs) thank you, N.K. Jemison. But okay, so 
Those well, were- I should mention that the Psychop Bester was actually named after the author, um, Alfred Bester, who wrote The Demolished Man, which was really one of the pivotal works uh, in classic sci-fi about telepathy and what its impact on society would be. And his name was Bester? Uh, uh, yeah, Alfred Bester. Okay. Uh, because I have too many things to read, but why I have not? to admit, I haven't read The Demolished Man either, but that's also oh. kind of on the list. <laughs> right. And, and, uh, and you know of its, its existence. Okay. So, so that's, so the Psychor and Walter Koenig, uh, who is uh, a delight in almost everything I've ever seen him do. Uh, that sounds, that sounds fascinating. So all these different people with their families, uh, some of them with families um, and uh, Londo left his wives back on Centauri Prime because he didn't want anything to do with them. But they, <laughs> they do show up in an episode or two. So <laughs> and of course, there are his wives and then also his loves, which is a different thing. That's ah, interesting. Bit. Interesting. Sure. So uh, the um, uh, yeah. And there's uh, Jeff Conway uh, from Taxi actually plays the security chief on the show eventually. Uh, oh. Good, good extended cast of characters who were there, but what? Um, but the interest of it again was this underlying knowledge going in that this was really going to be a long form story told out over the course of five seasons. Uh, but it did hit some road bumps, and that's part of what kind of makes the show interesting because after the end of the first season, the studio really wanted to recast the lead character. Uh, so uh, the commander of the base, um, Jeffrey Sinclair the studio didn't want him to return for the second season, but Straczynski had written a five-episode arc where he was at the core of it. So he had to introduce a new commander for the base. Um, and uh, uh, so the new commander was actually played by Bruce Boxleitner. And oh. um, I've, boy, I've got Jeffrey Sinclair written in my brain. I'm forgetting. Uh, 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 John Sheridan was the new uh, commander. And okay. so- so Straczynski had to kind of creatively like rethink how the story flows because now it had to sort of pivot around John Sheridan. We do actually see Jeffrey Sinclair again. He does come back uh, uh, to at kind of a pivotal moment to kind of connect everything and make it all work. But, uh, but there was a little bit of like restructuring things on the ground as he went forward to make this uh, work and move forward. So um, Poor JMS, the- man. That guy, uh, oh, yeah. he, there's just meddling fingers in his stories. He's like, come on, man. I had a plan. Well, and an even worse thing occurs. Um, the Babylon 5 was picked up, uh, and, and everyone would have watched it on P10, the P10 network. You remember that. I do not. What? Yeah, that's the problem. This was the primetime entertainment network. This was back in the 90s when everyone wanted to see if they could make the fourth network. It was after Fox. Had, was starting to vaguely succeed as oh, right, the fourth right. network. So now Simpsons. everyone wanted to make a fifth network. Right. So P10, P10, Primetime Entertainment Network, was an opportunity to take a lot of independent stations around the country and give them a few nights of programming, like uh, Kung Fu The Legend Continues was another Primetime sure. Entertainment <laughs> Network show and a handful. And so, um, unfortunately... P10 only lasted for five years and Babylon 5 didn't start running until the second year of P10. So it became very unclear in the fourth season whether there was going to even be a fifth season. Wait, I remember this drama. Yeah. So Straczynski had to basically think what he was going to do and he could either just do what he was originally going to do and if they couldn't find another home, it would just end and there wouldn't have a conclusion. Or he could try to rewrite and kind of compress everything and get through a lot of the story in the fourth season in case it didn't get picked up so you felt like you had a satisfying ending. But then, through it all, he actually was able to cut a deal with uh, Turner Network Television. So TNT actually picked up the fifth season of Babylon 5. But that wasn't until after the fourth season was done. So he actually accelerated the storyline. So the fourth season is just like, bam, 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 bam. Pay right. off everything that is built up. And then when he got the fifth season, he then actually had to like slow. Oh, now I actually need more story that wasn't there. Right. And slow the hell down. If, and uh, slow the hell down. What, were, were there reveals in the fourth season that he did not get to that he that he had in his back pocket for season five? They were. He still kept a few things in his back pocket knowing you know there might be other opportunities downstream so it wasn't completely all wrapped up but what was interesting is they actually filmed the final episode of the series at the end of the fourth season but when they got which is sort of an epilogue it takes place right, right. like 20 years later okay and when they got picked up 
they actually shelved that to run at the end of the fifth season. And the first thing they shot at the end of the at beginning of the fifth season would be the new end of the fourth season episode, which oh. served a role of sort of foreshadowing a little bit of what was going on. Because um, part of what happens in Babylon 5 is there is a Minbari prophecy that is being hinted at that has to do with the Great War that is coming. I mean, you talk about the Great War. The, sure. It really tears the galaxy apart. We're right. involving... It, 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 Babylon 5 starts very small. It, it starts in a way that you could never make a show again, I think. Because he spent the first season establishing this is what normal life is like in the galaxy. This is just the day-to-day conflicts. Here's the what's happening in the tension. And then it's not until a couple moments during the first season that there's a hint. There is a much bigger thing that's going on. There are other powers in the galaxy that we don't even know about that are starting to exert an influence on affairs. Far yeah. more powerful than anything than we've seen up to this point. Okay. And so that is just left as the, a slightest tease at the, through the first season. Through the second season, this starts to become clear that there are powers that are interacting that that have an agenda, and we don't even know what that agenda is, and it starts playing out. And it becomes like this epic, epic tale of of humanity and 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 other species trying to take control of their own destiny from okay. a literally mythological level that gets back to like what's happened through you know the, the history of the universe and the history of our galaxy for the last billion years uh, of intelligent civilizations. What, what cycles have gone on and is, do we get a chance to break a cycle that has, takes agency away from us? Right, and so there's this... Wow, that's, I've never tried to explain that ambiguously before like that. I, I, I like the taking agency <laughs> away from us. Right, <laughs> you are, uh, it is a delight to talk to Robert Hurt, by the way. It's always a delight because uh, there's nothing I like more than someone who's massively educated and then also likes a toy. So we're, <laughs> we're really nailing it. Uh, so there was a great war, but now there's this great prophecy and uh, we're just, the first season is just sort of establishing what normal sort of should look like and is. Yeah. And hints that, you know, a, a terrible war had happened about a thousand years ago that we don't know much about, but oh, it's part of a cycle. A and that, okay. that that seems something is coming that and then by the, uh, by the end of the second season, you know, things are just tearing apart. And the third season is you have conflicts going on between you know, the people on Babylon 5 who are trying to do the right thing, but you have on Earth, there are other political things that are happening. And in fact, one of the creepy things about watching Babylon 5 today yeah. is to find references that actually feel like they were written this week about what's happening politically in the world today. Yeah. It is, it's incredible. It, you know, it was written about other things, but it reminds you that it's always the same loops and cycles we go through. Right. History but, uh, isn't you know, cyclical. You know, a, 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 you know a, a deep splits in the government where you have you know, sides that are so polarized that are, are, are completely separated, where you have a government that starts becoming, in this case, very corrupt, where it institutes um, uh, 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 self-policing, the, the rise of a police state, and people turning in other people for saying things that are could be considered sedition, or to, to even criticize your government becomes a crime, and watching that kind of spiral down. And right. so you have like splits going on on how do you, as a commander in a rope base, deal with the fact that your government is no longer representing its people. Right. Uh, Holy and shit. And so that's all, uh, while this other even more epic story is is executing on a top layer and then following the arcs of the individual characters because yeah. unlike star trek which always sort of everyone ended where they began more or less with with a slight level though with deep space 9 arguably it was a lot more character evolution than we had seen before in babylon 5 you know each of these characters begins at a place that is so incredibly different than when they end People who seem like they are the enemies and the bad guys up front become different. People who seem good make poor choices. And right. with Battle on Five, it was really all about telling this long-form character arc of all of these characters and all the changes, all the choices, and how those choices create situations they have to live with downstream. Right. Battle on Five was, I think at its very core, was much more about 
living with your choices, trying to choose well, and and acknowledging that that how how you choose when you are given an option of the road to the right or road to the left, that how important it is to to make to think through that because doing things for the short term gain can can cause so much tragedy downstream. Yeah, and that's the part that I think is so deeply resonant about the show. Because uh, there's so much more character development in this uh, the, than in a normal. That I mean, that's the thing about having a, a show written the whole way through is that you can have your characters grow and 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 become more like real people, you know. And it's not writing on the fly, and then all of a sudden somebody retcons what. Well, this is why they do are doing this one thing, you know, or. And it's it's noteworthy that this occurred in an era. I mean, these days everything is is uh, serialized storytelling, right? It's you, you can't even sell a show that's just an episodic anymore. But Babylon Five was in an era where anytime you tried to do serialized storytelling, you got shut down by the networks because all they could see is, oh, it won't sell in, in syndication unless they're just self-contained little bits and you don't need to know anything. They didn't want any continuity. Uh, the DS9 writers were constantly struggling with Paramount because mm-hmm. they wanted to tell an epic story and Paramount wanted it to be episodic. And so, so it was always that struggle. Yeah. And so the fact that Straczynski was able to come in and do something like that at that point was was actually phenomenal. And right. even today, changer, most man. of these shows, they come in with maybe a, a serialized concept for a season. But the idea to have a whole five-year and done concept, yeah. I think, even now is kind of unimaginable that someone could really make that work. What is Straczynski doing now? Do we know? <laughs> is he uh, you know, I haven't followed recently. Yeah, I, I, I do. I haven't uh, really been following. He's had been done. He'd been doing a lot of comic book writing over the years too, because that was also one of his first loves. Because um, uh, uh, I know his name, and I just—I mean, I must be—I'm surrounded right now by uh, thousands of comic books, and um, yeah, so. He, did, gonna, uh, he definitely did a run on uh, Spider-Man, uh, a run on Superman. Yep, yep. That's the filing the, uh, system. <laughs> I am, I am <laughs> so, well aware of your your, uh, 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 yes, your, your collection. Okay. Comic yes. books are to your place that spaceships are to my place. Exactly. and uh, <laughs> But I think uh, you probably dust things more often. No, uh, probably not. <laughs> oh, fair enough. Fair enough. I, you do have a virtual background. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> But the, um, but Straczynski yeah. did so even after Babylon Five concluded and and um, uh, and arguably the fifth season was the weakest in many ways because the, particularly the beginning of it he had to spin up some new storylines that weren't as well thought out as everything that went on yeah and like so much TV we see when people go and they get an order for series and they don't have much time to develop it guess what a lot yeah. of times it's not as strong as if you've been thinking about this for five years and you right. really had uh, got it hashed out but it ends very strongly. Uh, he did actually try uh, to keep the franchise moving forward. They, uh, TNT actually financed four Babylon Five movies. Two of them aired between the first, uh, between the fourth and fifth seasons. Uh, one of them went back and was the prequel that actually told the story of the Earthman Bari War that we'd never really seen told out, just just referenced. Oh, okay. Um, they did a couple at the end of the fifth season, and one of them called Crusade was actually a pilot for. Uh, the next series that would have been the ongoing story of Babylon five for the next five years. Unfortunately, um, that series got canceled halfway through the first season. And, uh, what was the series called? It was called crusade. Oh, crusade. And it's, uh, it was basically, uh, you know, a threat to life and on earth. And, and, uh, uh, it was sort of a, um, a side shoot story of one of the leftover, plot lines from the original Babylon 5 story of what happens if some bad actors come in and do something terrible that threatens to destroy life on earth and then sure. uh, going out trying to do what you find something to, to keep humanity from being destroyed again. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was more what you might call archaeological sci-fi. It was a lot of the idea was going out and trying to find these ancient ruins of ancient civilizations to find if someone has the, uh, some old technology or knowledge that might help with a, sure. uh, something that was based on very old technology uh, that right. to begin with. That, um, there was another, um, but like I said, that, that literally canceled, got canceled in the middle of the season. And uh, a couple of scripts ran around for towards the end of that season. It really had a real f- phenomenal arc to it, but you know, we never got to see that played out. We actually ran that at my place years ago. Uh, I did the, the screening, the crusade episodes that were made and at the end of it, 
uh, we all got together, like Scott Martin was there and me and, and I, Andy might've come over for this too, actually. Yeah. I'm not sure now. Uh, I actually had two of the unfinished or unproduced scripts that made their way around the net. So wow. we actually all sat around, brought the scripts, we each took characters and then we just did a script read through so oh, that we could actually like at least get through the end of the season and get yeah, a sense yeah. of how it played out. Oh, that's fun. That's a little table read over at Robert Hurt's house. Um, how much, so there were, t- they made 10 episodes of that crusade. Something essentially like that, around 10 episodes. Yeah. Then, uh, then there was another um, kind of backdoor pilot that was sci-fi finance called legend of the Rangers. That was a one shot took place some years later. Uh, yeah, it was okay. But uh, again, Always with like tighter and tighter budget constraints. You can totally tell like it's just not produced not as- at high standards. Uh, the, the final installment in Babylon 5 came out uh, some years after that in a uh, straight-to-DVD release that was um, uh, basically two 30-minute story vignettes that were of the, we just film the actors against green screen and just fill in the visual and don't build sets or anything. And they just told a couple of little vignettes, follow-up points on some of the characters. Okay. And, and uh, you know, only that's that's great if you watch the show, then it's lovely to see those moments. It would absolutely never actually help reboot the franchise, right? Because it was so deeply enmeshed in just telling little bits of those stories that never got finished from the original. Uh, right, right. Franchise. Just sort of those weird um, novellas that they put in the midst of 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 book series that work really well. Exactly. You're just like, what else did, did J.R.R. Tolkien write anything ever? Let's make a small short story out of these notes. And uh, <laughs> you're just like, oh, okay, <laughs> it's fine. It isn't broken. So were the four movies pretty good, though? That they Yeah, they actually were. The, um, the In the Beginning movie was, if you, uh, I don't know if you watched Battlestar Galactica, but when they finished that run, they put out a movie called The Plan, Mm-hmm. that was trying to actually justify that there had been a plan all along when there hadn't. And yeah. even if you watch the plan, you're like, yeah, no. Plan. <laughs> 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 you, know, you are really retconning hard here. Uh, in the beginning, it was more like, oh, yeah, yeah, there was a plan. Yeah. <laughs> and that made sense. <laughs> um, uh, the one was kind of a space horror story called Third Space. Uh, it was just a, tell something a little more of a horror genre of, of uh, creatures from hyperspace come out and an ancient civilization, very Cthulhu-esque, you know, but told okay. in a sci-fi backdrop. Um, yeah, that was actually another uh, one of the technologies in Babylon 5. The way you actually did interstellar travel was you travel through hyperspace, but it's not like anything that you'd seen in other uh, shows. It was Hyperspace was like another dimension you travel through, and you have to open up these jump points that let you fly into hyperspace. Uh-huh. And then, um, so if you, uh, uh, you know, every major system had these ancient jump gates that were built, you know, probably a billion years ago by other civilizations that are, you can fly up to and you get them to open up and then you can send ships in and out. Or you can build, if you have a big enough ship, you can actually put a jump engine inside that ship so it can form its own jump points. So there's a neat way, like even if you have just a shuttle or a fighter, you can actually fly system to system using existing jump gates. Or if you are a large cruiser, you get to sort of choose your own trajectories and entry and exit points. Oh, that's cool. And even hyperspace itself is a weird, stormy place. You can get lost if you don't stay on the, the beacons that are navigating you between jump points. It, you know, Ships that go off beacon just get lost. There right. were some stories they were able to tell off in that direction, About too. Of, the poor you know, bastards who had to set the beacons, you know. Yeah. And, uh, it's uh, whatever you look into, like, those sort of the, the – um, the the wormhole jumpers and the and the stargate jumpers and the those first uh, I I really like those stories where we talk about the pioneers of the of the of the just the crazy people are like yeah I'll go through that wormhole what's on the other side <laughs> and you're like who are you and uh, and you know and but they're the only ones who were able in 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 science fiction they're the ones who are able to go. Who the ones who make it back were like, oh yeah, we found a, I, I put a string here and now you can just follow the string. So I do love but, those stories. Yeah, Dragon Riders of Pern has that uh, Stargate. Who like who built the who built the jump gates? Right, uh, that might be a mystery in Babylon Five. Yeah, it's they never really dug into that as much as I wanted them to. They just alluded to the fact that these jump gates were very old, but we actually know how they work, so we can build new ones. It, so it's like in Stargate, the Stargates were like a magic technology. They right. only were someone else built them, and we can't do them. In Babylon yeah. Five, it's more like, well, yeah, no, they're out there. There was a network, but we can build more. 
we do that. We figured out how they work. And so we can build ships that, that do the same thing. So, uh, but it becomes, that becomes, they use that. Like it's, it's a very interesting uh, technology from a battle point of view of, you know, when you jump in, how long does it take for your jump engine to recover, to get back out? Uh, what happens when a ship jumps in like right on top of another ship? You know, the idea of a jump gate could be used offensively or, uh, 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 you know, or, or the vortex, the energy that's released, you know. Uh, right, right. They, they, so they play a lot with that technology. They, they, I, I love sci-fi that goes and sort of says, okay, well, here's a basic thing. Now let's look at all the implications that has and all the weird ways you may or may not be able to, uh, to use it. Right. There was a there, there was a, a a plot point in one of the Vorkoskin novels where they had to shut down a wormhole, and one of the other races was like, "Wait, you guys have figured out how to shut down a wormhole?" It was like, "Well, not permanently. You have you just send a ship in that self destructs while in the wormhole. It'll shut it down. It'll reset itself after a certain amount of time." And they're like, "Wait, do you have unmanned ships that you can send in?" Just like, "No, no, it's a guy who volunteers." And you're like, what? <laughs> and you're just like, and, and that is the nature of that race, right? That has this sort yeah. of weird uh, kind of uh, sacrifice kind of you know, kamikaze angle to it. You're like, weird, but okay. And um, this, um, I have forgotten. Uh, I know that retcon stands for retroactive what? What does con stand for? Retroactive... Um, I don't know, actually. Uh, I was told many years ago, and I've I've spaced it. But uh, feel free to Google that, Rangers. You'll figure <laughs> you'll figure it out because uh, it's retroactive uh, fixing of you know like the character like a character put back in retroactive continuity. How about continuity? That? It's continuity. That's it. You well played. We figured it out. I, I just I logic to that one. I was like, yeah. what are all the con words I can think of? Are anything relevant? <laughs> exactly. So we have a couple minutes left. What uh, this makes me want to watch the show. The, the shows are an hour long. So in mm-hmm. where is it streaming? Uh, it is. You probably own DVD. Right I, I have the DVDs. We, yeah. it, it does look. Right. I, it was. It was definitely on Amazon Prime recently. Okay. So I don't know if it's still there. It might still be on Amazon Prime. Okay. Uh, I, I will note, like so many shows, uh, I mean, so Babylon 5 was done on a fraction of the budget of Deep Space Nine. I think it may have been anywhere between like a third, maybe half of, of DS9. So it was done very, um, the, the, uh, their art designer actually had his background in theater. So there's a lot of like theatrical painting techniques on simple walls and things, lots of hanging of, of draperies and, and, and fabric okay. and te- to give texture, uh, you know, to really try to get the most out of that look. Uh, it was also the first sci-fi uh, space-based TV show to rely exclusively on computer graphics for visual effects, right at the point where that was becoming possible. So it does, by modern viewing, have something that looks very CG, very simplistic, but it gave an opportunity like where at this point in time, when you saw like a space battle in Star Trek, there might be two or three ships sort of sitting and like little phasers firing. Yeah. Whereas Babylon 5 in the pilot had a fleet of like, a hundred ships show up surrounding the station, charging energy weapons. You know, it was, it, it just took while the, the technical uh, uh, level quality of the CG doesn't hold up by modern standards. You have to look and compare it to things that occurred at that time. It just gave us incredible design spaces that we hadn't seen before. Okay. Star Trek might have one or two or three ships a season. New designs appear. Babylon five had dozens of ships. I have like, little shelf of little metal figures from the Babylon 5 uh, board game uh, that I painted up over the years. Dozens yeah. and dozens of designs. So I, I would like a picture a of you. I would like a picture of you with uh, some of these uh, uh, for, for the slug where it's a picture of you uh, and then the logo. I would like a picture of you with a couple of these ships. If you could, that, that can be done. That can yeah, be that's done. an attainable goal. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's so cool. So the, the, the CGI is a little grainy is what you're saying. So just, yeah, yeah grain of salt take it in mind and and be gentle uh yes. with your with your the, and the other the other caveat i say for some going into it is that the first season was um a little rough and uh even, even those who love it and went through it from the beginning you know we put up with some things that, that aren't as well written like many shows like the first season of deep space nine was really kind of terrible mostly too with a few gems sure uh, there are um there are lists of like okay 
if you need to, if you're not sure you're going to stick with it, here are like the six episodes you must watch from the first season. Okay. <laughs> you can kind of oh, continue. so there's a way to sort of cherry pick. If yeah, uh, You can if, cherry pick your way through and if, get the, the you, bulk of the, the thread. Uh, there are a few episodes that don't seem important in the first season. They're actually, actually critically important to character arcs. So sure. you know, it's a little bit of the big flashy ones, but some of the character ones too. But by the time you get into the second season, it really kind of, finds its groove and and, and i have watchable. this to say uh especially like if i'm trying to get someone to watch something or read something uh even the dork forest i'm like feel free to cherry pick you have the rest of your life to go back and be the completest that you might want to mm-hmm. be right like if you did enjoy those first six episodes and then you watch the other four and a half seasons uh and then you're like i miss it and then you can go back and see the other dozen episodes or 18 episodes or whatever the math would be on that thank you and, uh, and you know, like with any show with a really good continuity to it there is that second viewing you see things you didn't see before right? right because when you know where it all goes things take on so much more significance going through i we actually um uh, just started watching Dollhouse, uh, Joss Whedon's series. Uh, oh, yeah. It was two seasons. Patrice uh, uh, and I just finished uh, you know, Westworld season three. And all along I've been telling him, Westworld was really just ripping off Dollhouse. So I said, come on, let's, let's watch Dollhouse now. And right. I hadn't watched that, honestly, since the beginning. Um, and like the very first line of dialogue like gave me goosebumps in that show because it seems like a kind of a little one-off trivial observation, but mm-hmm. when you actually know what the show is about, it's like, oh my God, you just told everything about what this show is in like one in a throwaway, throwaway that, that you will forget, right? Yeah. I, I love I love those moments in like in cinema, like in um Inception. Yeah, if you okay. if you like Inception, if you've the second time you see Inception, when there there's there's a line of dialogue right at the beginning where all of a sudden like Oh yeah. my God! It 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 totally changes your sense of what what's going on because you 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 see the 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 underlying thread behind that. Cool. Well, Robert Hurt, as per usual, I think this is the fourth episode with you. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Something like that. Uh, they're always in. They're always informative. There's usually we learn something nice, and then we get uh, with no spoilers this time. Babylon Five, uh, and uh, I think a sincere interest in watching such a such an event so thank you so much for being on the show again and and i'm just delighted we got through this whole thing and i don't have to tell patrice to not listen to it because we were we were joking about how we would because when we were going to be doing this like you know two months ago three months ago i was like okay patrice i'm going to tell you you have to stop listening now because i don't want you to be spoiled before we get to the end (laughs) right right but now (laughs) you're kept it nice in general so nice in general uh, hopefully hopefully a teaser and and totally encouraging. So it's at Astro Rob, all of the places where he's not really putting a lot of content out. Uh, and then if you go to universeunplugged.org, is it org? I think it's org. Yes. Uh, that'll redirect that, you to the site. That'll redirect you to the site. And you can watch him talk about uh, genuine science. And you can see a lot of your art of the Spitzer Telescope and all of your great um, – the the uh, it is a – and the words are gone. But uh, what you Fun do for- science videos about astronomy. How about that? Exactly. And uh, so thank you so much for being on the show. And the rules, of course, uh, Rangers, especially in, in these times, take care of each other out there. My hat, my hat, my hat. They're dancing around my hat. <laughs> my hat, my hat, my hat. Well, what do you think of that? If it looks like a Mexican hat dance and it sounds like a Mexican hat dance, it's most likely a Mexican hat dance. So take off your hat and let's dance. Yay! Oh my god. Thank we you. why don't we just call that as the end of the show?